All right. Well, we're just going to, as always, just keep going where we, we left off. We talked about, the last couple of weeks, we talked about Abraham. And in Genesis 12, we talked a little bit about uh, Abraham's call and the the reality of, of our salvation beginning with an exodus, a leaving behind of everything we we uh, we have formerly known and been, everything we uh, our country kindred and father's house, and we know at least we in this in this class know that the way that that happens is through death. Um, the, the way that God, the way that you leave behind your country, kindred, and father's house in the in the fulfillment of this picture that we see in Abraham is is through being baptized into the death of Christ. Now that that reality of death may or may not be a very real thing in a lot of believers' hearts, but that's not because it's not real. It's just because without the light of life showing us, teaching us the truth as it is in Christ, nothing that's real in Christ feels real. I mean, it's all just a bunch of mental beliefs. And... uh and you know, and then that's a big problem in in uh, in the body of Christ, in my opinion, that uh, we generally are dealing with just a bunch of beliefs that don't feel very real, and we we usually either blame uh, blame well, we blame that on one thing or another. Uh, a lot of times we say it's just not time for it to be real. It's it's you know these things wait a future time or whatever. But what they what they wait for is not anything future. They just need to be seen in the light that shows you what's real. That's what light does. Natural light shows you what's real. That's what it does. Shows you what's there. Without it, you, it's your best guess. Without it. All you have are beliefs, beliefs about things you can't see. It's really, really sad and tragic if that's what Christianity is to us, beliefs about things we can't see. And I know that that's actually a common way of understanding Christianity, and that's why it's really sad. But what it's supposed to be is a seeing by faith, a seeing, faith not being a belief, faith being the Spirit's perspective working in the soul of man, a seeing, a inward seeing and knowing, a possessing, uh, an actual experience of substance and evidence of the things that aren't seen, that makes that makes spiritual realities very real to us. Well, I'm off on a tangent already, but I just... There's just so many pictures of this exodus that we saw in Genesis 12 with Abraham, or Abram, I guess he was still Abram at that time, but uh, that, uh, that, that are all over the Old Testament, and yet uh, most of us don't understand the beginning of our new birth, the beginnings of spiritual life. The way that we left everything behind is this death, and that's why Paul has to deal with the church. Don't you know that you were baptized into? Don't you? Know, he's talking to Christians who obviously are believers, and he's saying, "Don't you know? Don't you realize? Don't you? Haven't you seen yet that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were first of all baptized into His death? That's how you got out. That's how you got out. You know. But anyway, that's all. That's what we looked at in Genesis 12. I can't keep going over that over and over again. Um, we looked at the uh, his trip to Egypt, and I've gotten some kind of cool emails about that. Different people 
sharing different things and because uh, I you know I, I wasn't I, I wasn't uh, I'm still not super clear on all that but just kind of share what was on my heart with regard to that in chapter 13 we looked at uh, the the issue of Lot and his separation from Lot and the fact that God's the journey that Abraham experiences as a as a lifelong process is the seeing and abiding and knowing and remaining in where God had placed him not getting there getting there was over in one one section of one verse Genesis 12:5 he got there the rest of the story of Abraham's life is about seeing and experiencing where he is and now we're getting to chapter 14 and um and this brings us we're going to kind of take a little bit of a a detour or a, a break from focusing specifically. Abram is involved in this story, but um, <clears throat> we're going to focus in a little bit more on Melchizedek because he pops up out of nowhere and disappears uh, in this chapter two. There's this. This chapter fourteen begins with um, this this uh, war where a bunch of kings kind of come together and they 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 destroy some cities and they kidnap. Uh, Lot and Abraham or Abram gathers together 300 of his men and they go pursuing Lot and they um, they they basically attack them at night I think yeah and uh, ended up bringing back all of all of the people that had been taken captive and all of the goods and I know that there's something, I mean, besides some very uh, superficial things, I, I don't really have much to say about that 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 war or that story. I just haven't seen a whole lot there. But what I have seen a little bit about is this part where he comes back from that victory, which I'm sure is some kind of a picture of the cross or Christ coming into the enemy's camp and rescuing, you know, or in, in a sense, some some view of the cross as, or the work of Christ as the arm of the Lord that comes into this uh, hostile environment and brings back to uh, the Father that which, that which had been taken captive. Or, you know, there's, there's got to be something like that involved there, but I don't want to speak very dogmatically about it because I haven't seen much there. But he comes back and he bumps into Melchizedek. And and let me just read this here. It's interesting for several. This the story of Melchizedek is is interesting for several reasons. It's really no. I don't think it's any more important than any other types and shadows. What really stands out to me about the story of Melchizedek is that there's like two or three verses here that talk about Melchizedek, and that's it in the entire Bible except for a, a one mention in the Psalms. And yet, the author of Hebrews. Refer, spends a whole chapter talking about Melchizedek based on the little tiny details of these two or three verses in Genesis chapter 14. And, and that's fascinating to me for a lot of reasons, and it should be fascinating to all of us, because it shows that, first of all, that the New Testament authors, the apostles of the, of the Lord, were reading the Old Testament not just as stories and history or whatever, but as pictures, as shadows, figures of spiritual realities. And every detail meant something important, it pointed to something absolutely essential. All right, let me read it here. It says, uh, Genesis fourteen eighteen. 
If you're following along in your Bibles, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, which is significant. I mean, all of these things are, but... Uh, in fact, just in that first phrase, the author of Hebrews translates his name and the name of Salem and right away has this king being the king of righteousness and the king of peace. That's what he said. If you look at Hebrews chapter 7, he, he brings that out. It says, in fact, I think I have the scripture right here. It says, for this, this is in Hebrews 7, 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the God Most High, the one meeting Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessing him, to whom Abraham divided a tenth of all. And then it says, first being interpreted king of righteousness. That's what his name translated means, king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, which is, the uh, trans, Salem is kind of like Shalom. It's kind of that same, that same uh, root word. And it's the king of peace. And so right before we even get into this, he's already got the name translated and, and, and the, the city translated, and he's seeing a whole lot. So anyway, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. He blessed him, that is, he blessed uh, Abraham, Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, in this case now is Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of all. And then what immediately follows this is that the king of, so the, uh, king, king of Sodom, not the king of Salem, but the king of Sodom now, uh, tries to have some conversation with uh, Abram and give him goods and uh, the, uh, the uh, spoils of war, and Abraham won't take a single thing from the king of Sodom's hand. Um, okay, well, um, I, I was trying to think of it right before I side down here exactly how far back to, to go because when, when you think about when you think about um, the Old Testament, you always have to remember that there was something before the Old Testament. Okay, there was before God ever started to deal with human beings in pictures and shadows and words. Words are also shadows. Words don't contain substance, but they, but they, uh, uh, they, they, they point to it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Words aren't truth. You can't ever say words and say what I just said was spiritual truth because spiritual truth has substance to it. Words, words can describe spiritual truth. That's why Jesus says thing, things like, you diligently seek the scriptures, thinking that in them, thinking that in the actual words, that you've come to life. But I'm the substance. I'm the life and you won't come to me. So he's, the scriptures all spoke of him, but they wouldn't come to him. He's the substance of all the words. So even words, whether whether we're talking about uh, prophetic words or words that have to do with stories of men like David and Abraham, or, or or whether we're talking about natural creation, all of these things are natural pictures. You always have to keep that in mind. Before there was ever a natural creation, there was a spiritual, eternal reality in God. Uh, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you know, fellowshipping and union, sharing life, sharing light, sharing glory. I don't know how all of that works. Don't even ask me. But it was real, and everything that came out from the beginning was meant to point back to it. Do you understand what I mean by that? Everything that came out from God in a natural expression whether it was light or water or or the, the the earth and the things in the earth or whether it was the things in his covenant in the tabernacles and the fire and the mountains that were shaking or wh- whatever it was everything that came out from god was a natural picture of a spiritual reality there's no other reason god created anything he never would have he didn't make anything because it, he just thought it was pretty he didn't make anything because he just thought it was you know uh a, a, like an experiment like um i wonder if i can make like this this horse like thing with a really long neck and spots you know i bet i wonder if it would like tilt over because of the weight of it let me see if i can do that and then he puts together this thing and says that, that that's it that's what i was thinking it's, i'm going to call it a giraffe or whatever that he didn't do that. That's not why he created natural creation. He had the substance and he created a shadow. And then he put you and I, our first experience with reality, okay, is the shadow realm. We start in the creation that was made to bear the image in a multitude of different ways. Some of them are easy to see, some of them are not, you know. Uh, I mean, some of them, you, you almost have to be blind not to see. It just uh, if you have a little bit of a view of, of the Lord working in your heart, it's hard to miss, uh, you know, things like I, that I always mention, like plants that bend towards the light and grow uh, because of light or or caterpillars that go into a cocoon and come out like a new creation that flies, you know. I mean, these things aren't just happenstance. They're not... It, it, some of them are very easy to see, some of them are not, but all of them came out from something, okay? Um, contrary to modern science, you know, and all the ways that we try to you know, deny uh, God's, uh, well, God's existence, but also God's plan and purpose in creation. Uh, there was... There was so much purpose and reality behind what the Lord did in natural creation. And, and, and what he made was made to do something. It was made to point back to its source. It was made to, to bear, just like a shadow. Have you ever, you know, you know how you do this. You take, you, you look at your shadow and, you know, you hold your hand up. Right outside in the backyard, and and you see your shadow on the ground. And if you draw a straight line from your hand on the ground to to the hand that's that's casting the shadow, it always points back to the light. You know, the, a direct line from a direct line from the shadow on the ground to your hand is going to continue going directly to the sun. Everything of the shadow realm is like that. If you if you see it for what it is, if you if you know it for what it is, <clears throat> and so. Uh, there's i just want to say that really clearly because humans we wake up from the you know from from birth i mean we come out of the womb and we're 
automatically in this world that we think is so substantial, so real. It's, it is. It's tangible. You know, you can touch it. You can smell it. You got these five senses that are constantly observing this natural realm. And for us, it's the most real thing. For us, it, it's it's like the the substance. It's the foundation of everything that we call real. And yet, for God, that's the shadow realm. That's the lesser real of the two. That's the thing that that it was that came out from the more real, like a shadow comes out from a, a solid object, and points back to it. Okay, and so, uh, <clears throat> so before there was, and, and we're going to see this. I'm, I'm saying all this because to me, this is what Melchizedek is all about. Okay, before. God broke down the testimony of himself and his salvation in his son, broke it down into a million little pieces, and, and testified of it in, in, in time. He filled up time, natural time, another part of his natural creation, with a testimony. Before he did that, it was all one in him. It wasn't a bunch of little different things. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a tabernacle and a kingdom and a priesthood and a fire and a uh, a victory over uncircumcision and a bunch of laws and a Sabbath. It wasn't all these different things. All those things, although they are many, came out from one and point back to one thing. Okay, and. And that's, I guess, to me, that's important just to understand that because God is always, let me just say it like this, and then I'll try to explain it, but God is always trying to bring our souls back to the beginning. In other words, which is also the end. The end and the beginning are the same. Actually, well, I have this diagram here. Let me throw this diagram up here. It might help me a little bit. Got it. Okay, good. Got it, got it, got it. Great. What you got there is Christ before creation. In him is the fullness of every... I mean, you read these verses in the New Testament, but they're kind of things we don't really understand what they mean, so we kind of gloss over them and think, oh, that's kind of cool. He's the fullness of everything. All things are from him, okay? All things are from him and by him and for him, or that out from him came all created things, or the word of God created all things, or nothing was created that was not out from him. You know, we read these kind of statements and and they sound like really cool powerful statements about Jesus, but 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 what in the world are they talking about? Well, that's what I'm kind of trying to draw here. It all was one substantial reality in the son of God, in God, you could say in the son of God, in the Trinity, I don't know, you know, pick your language there. I'm not sure how to say it, but and that's the alpha. Okay? That's the that's the that's the first and the well, the beginning and the end. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna save the word first for something else. But uh, the alpha was was everything in the beginning, and then out from that you have a natural creation. Now the next thing you see in this diagram is a bunch of pieces, and I have here it says Christ portrayed in types and shadows. I could have put the world there, uh, you know, a picture of the globe. I think I might even have another diagram that has the world there, because that's what the world is. You know, it's the 
the things that God made, light and the, the, the division between light and darkness and, and sea and dry land and heavens and earth and, and then the increase of seed and the government to, uh, of man and, and the man to govern the, the earth and to increase and multiply and, and then the rest. And I mean, you go right from the beginning. You know, in fact, John kind of does this. In John, John chapter 1, he kind of says, he kind of goes back to Genesis and says, in the beginning, and then he kind of brings Christ into view. And there's some of the same elements there. There's speak. There's the word which spoke in the beginning. There's the light that came out of the darkness in the beginning. And he kind of does this little Genesis one thing, but uh, I, drew, I just just so you could see that it's so that it's Christ. I, I took the same little stick stick guy here and I chopped him up into a lot of pieces. And maybe I should have superimposed it on top of the earth or something like that because that's what I'm trying to that's what I'm trying to show you with this diagram. That. What we're born in what the Bible calls the first. Okay, there's the first and the second. Now look at the, below the diagram. You'll see the Alpha and the Omega are, are are both Christ. He's he's the beginning and the end. He's he's where things come out from, and all things are gathered up back into Him, as Ephesians one ten says. But but. Even though the first and this and he's the alpha and the omega and they're really the same. The only difference between the alpha and the omega is that we are with him in the omega. That he brings us back to him. He brings us back with himself to what he was in the beginning. And that's what the whole. That's the gospel, guys. That's what. That's what the whole thing is about. I mean, God reached. He created this natural realm, and and we we are born into this natural realm. And then he reached his arm down. This is the language of Isaiah. He, he he stretched out. He looked and saw that there was no one that could ever ascend to him. That it could never. There was no one to intercede. No one to. No one righteous. No none. none. And so he reaches his own arm down into creation and pulls us back to where he was from the beginning, right? And that is the the. Uh, that's this, that's what Jesus was praying right before he right before he went to the cross. What did Jesus say right before he went to the cross? He said, "I'm going back to where I always have been. I'm going back to you, Father, where you know before creation of the wor- of, of the world, I was with you in glory, and I'm going back to that same glory. But here's what I want: I want those whom you have given me to be back with me where I am, that they may see the glory that I've always had with you, Father. So it's this round trip journey. I don't have it drawn as a round trip uh, journey here, but 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 that's what it is. So the re- okay. So Christ is the Alpha. Christ is the Omega, and they're the same. Except that maybe. I, and again, I could I could have beefed up this diagram a little bit, but I, I should have put put a bunch of little people inside of Christ, um, on the on the other side on the right side of the cross here, because that's the only difference between the Alpha and the Omega. The substance is the same. The person is the same. He's the first and the he's the he's the Alpha and the Omega. But we now live in Him, and He has brought us back to His beginning, right there with the Father where He started. Okay, but you and I start now. That's where the the other. Uh, uh, words underneath the diagram make sense. When the Bible talks about the first and the second, it talks about our beginning and 
and where we go. So the first is the shadows that we're born into, the natural pictures. We're not. We, we didn't come contrary to a, a bunch of uh, weird uh, ideas that that you know don't have a whole lot of prominence in the church. But I've heard them. In fact, I, I just read someone sent me an email with them the other day that I deleted. But contrary to what most you know what, what some people say, it, it, we don't start in the alpha. Our beginnings are in what the Bible calls the first, the first creation, the first man, the first covenant. That's where we we are born there. We are given a soul. And the soul comes out in a body, and the body only knows uh, a bunch of shadows, a bunch of pieces of things. And for us, they're all different. We don't understand what we're born into. We're, we're so blind spiritually speaking, that we can live our entire lives in this giant collection of pieces of Jesus portrayed in, 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 in natural and uh, uh, pictorial ways. And we can actually, rather than see them as pieces that testify of him, rather than see them as testimonies, rather than see them as anything that have spiritual relevance at all, we can live our entire lives using those little pieces f- from our own perspective and for our own purposes and, and for our own benefit and gain, never even realizing that every one of them came out from something and points back to that exact same thing. That's how blind we are. But with a heart that begins to turn to the Lord, the Lord begins to sh- point you somewhere. And where he points you is to the fulfillment You start to see that there's a different kind of light, or as Jesus said, there's a different kind of water. That this water in the natural creation and the first, it doesn't really satisfy. There's a better kind of water. There's a better kind of food. I have food that you know nothing about, Jesus tells the disciples. You know, man does not live by bread alone, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 and says to Satan. And so, if a heart that begins to turn begins to realize that the first is actually pointing to something. And then our journey is through the cross, as you can kind of see here in the... We have to go where he went. We have to follow where... Following Jesus is going out of the first into the second, which is the Omega, which is Christ, which is Christ all and in all. Another phrase that we say a lot, we read a lot, sing a lot, it's on our bulletins and our church signs, but what does it mean? It means he, in him, are gathered up all of these things that came out from him to begin with, including you and I. And we find in him the substance and the reality all that came out from him to begin with. I hope you can see what this is for me. This is really, this is like you take, you know, you it's, you go, you you walk backwards until you get a bigger and bigger view. And I think, I think this is kind of like something. I mean, obviously, it's it's uh, it's a small understanding being represented here, but I think it's a small understanding of a very of a very broad view, a uh, kind of a God's eye view, and. And, and, and just just to mention, there's there's a number of places where the scriptures talk about the beginning and how things were in the beginning, and you really have to go back before the first, like when Jesus talks about marriage. And I don't want to get into specifics, and you can email me if you want specifics about that. But when he talks about mo, well, when they when they quiz him about marriage, he he just says, without getting into the details. That's not how Moses gave them permission to give a certificate of divorce 
because of the hardness of their hearts, but that's not how it was in the beginning. What what beginning was he talking about? In the substance, in the thing, in the in the spiritual reality that existed before God ever gave the shadow. Okay? And so we go, our journey from first to second, from old to new, from flesh to spirit, from shadow to substance, our journey is a journey with Christ back to where he came from. And again, that's what the New Testament, that's what Jesus said, that's what Paul says, you have died, your life is hidden with Christ and God, you go with him back to where he came from. Alright, so what does this have to do with Melchizedek? Well, a lot, actually, strangely. <clears throat> uh, it, Melchizedek is a, is a picture of this very reality, okay? Melchizedek comes on the scene, and you see in one man a collection of things that, in Genesis 14, right at the beginning of the Bible, you see in one man a bunch of things that are all gathered up in him. Okay? One man. But then, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, these things are divided up and we're given more details about them. Uh, for instance, Melchizedek is... I mean, I have a whole list of things here, but he is in one man... He is a king of righteousness. In one man, he is the king of peace. He's also a priest. He's the priest of God, of God Most High. He's also a king. The combination or the bringing together of king and priest, you, you don't see that happen again until another man comes who comes in the order of Melchizedek. That's the whole point of uh that's the, that's the whole point of, of, of uh, Hebrews chapter 7. That another man comes and he fulfills the order of Melchizedek. And he's saying the order of Melchizedek is much better than the order of uh, Aaron. And that's as you, as you read through Hebrews 7. But, but what I'm trying to say with this diagram is that just like all things were, were defined and had their, their essential substance in Christ, as Christ, before the foundation of the world. And then, out from the Alpha, came the, came the first creation, the first covenant, the first man, all the natural pictures. And then they were gathered back up into Christ, through the cross. In that very same way, Melchizedek is a picture of that, of that reality. In this one man, specifically I think the biggest deal in this one man, the, the deal that I think that uh, Hebrews makes out of it, is, uh, is the kingdom and the priesthood being in one man. But, but there's a lot in this one man. There's, there's peace, okay, there's, let's see, there's a priesthood, there's a kingdom, there's righteousness, there's peace, there's the fact that it's an eternal life pointed out here by this man, the fact that he receives the tithes of Abraham. In fact, Hebrews even says he receives the tithes of all of Israel because they were still in Abraham's loins. He, the fact that he gives them bread and wine. He gives them the bread and the wine of the new covenant. He gives them, uh, well, he, he gives them an experience of Christ as in death and resurrection. He, I mean, and all of these things happen in three verses, and and it's super interesting to me to see that 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 the author of of of, of Hebrews 
is looking at, I mean, there's, there's several things that are interesting here to me, but one of them is that um, the author of Hebrews is not only taking the the things that are said about Melchizedek as types and shadows of Christ, but he's also taking the things that aren't said. For instance, the fact that it doesn't even mention where Melchizedek came from. I mean, some people say Melchizedek is a is 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 Jesus or is a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus. I don't think that's true. I don't have a, necessarily have a problem with that idea, but I, I whether it's Jesus or not, it's still uh, um, it's still. Or the angel of the Lord. In fact, I, I do kind of have a problem with that idea now that I think about it. But anyway, um, the the point is <clears throat> that 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 Melchizedek, the fact that it doesn't mention his ancestry, like who he is, like a lot of times it does in the Bible. You know, so and so is the son of Eliab, who begat so and so. Someone's calling me on Skype. Uh Okay, so even the, that's what I was saying, even the fact that Jesus, that, that Melchizedek's ancestry isn't mentioned, and his death isn't mentioned either, it doesn't talk about how he, he lived so and so many years and died and he begat three sons named Philip or something, that's not part of the story either. And the author of Hebrews says that that, even that, even the lack of information about Melchizedek is a picture of the fact that he doesn't have beginning of days or end of days, and therefore is a picture of the, of the eternal Son of God. Now, now, if you're seeing what I'm trying to say, I, I think it's really, really interesting. Because, I don't know about you guys, but, but the idea of, of looking at the Old Testament as a picture of, of new covenant realities is something that a lot of people in the body of Christ frown upon. In fact, it, uh, there's a lot of commentaries even that I look at that that say that um, you know you 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 should try to avoid looking for types and shadows in the Old Testament. It just leads to a lot of imaginations and stuff. Well, that might be true that it leads to, it can lead to imaginations if you're not seeing it in the light. But look at what this man is 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 seeing in this story. He sees. He sees the fact that the the absence of mentioning uh, the 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 lineage of Melchizedek and the absence of his death, even that is a picture of Jesus's uh, eternal life, and he even calls it the the order of an of an indestructible life. Later on in that same uh, chapter. Hebrews chapter 7. Okay? But, there's lots of details in this man. Getting back to my main point here. There's there's lots of facets of, of little tiny things that we see in this one man. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, these things are divided up. They're not put together any longer. Right after, the, you know, in a little while longer after uh, Israel, you know, comes out of uh, Egypt... God divides up the priesthood and the kingdom are no longer seen in one man. In fact, there's a king Uzziah who was um, who was punished for for he tried to as the king do something that belonged to the priesthood. He went inside the tabernacle and tried to offer incense to the Lord, and he he, he became leprous. It was not that God had divided those things up. He he actually basically took all these. What did I list? Six or seven different aspects of Melchizedek. 
He takes those things, and then just like in our diagram here, he spreads them apart. And he deals with the kingdom, he starts dealing with Judah, that one tribe. And he starts bringing out pictures and prophecies about the kingdom through Judah. And later we see that developed very well uh, through David. David is uh, the king of Judah, you know, the one through, through that uh, David and Solomon. But that's where he, he's developing. He takes this one little piece out of Melchizedek, and he, and he develops it throughout the Old Testament. It gives us so much information about the kingdom, and uh, and then so many prophecies about the the way that that kingdom is going to be gathered up again in Christ. He does the same thing with the priesthood. No longer are the kingdom and the priesthood in one man. The priesthood is separated. He deals with the tribe of Levi, uh, the sons of Aaron, about the priesthood, and he develops that theme. He he he, he rolls with it for a while with that particular tribe and he gives all kinds of specifics the the king the, the tribe of judah never does anything with regard to the tabernacle with regard to the temple they're not involved and then peace you know peace is a picture uh uh you could say it this way um david was not the king of peace solomon was david was the man of bloodshed david was the man who uh brought judgment uh, in the land, and he was not the one to build the house of God. He was the one to destroy the Lord's enemies. Both of them are pictures of what Christ did, but Jesus, before the cross, didn't set up the eternal house of God. He didn't. You know what I'm saying? Jesus, the Nazarene, he was the man of bloodshed. He was the one that took upon himself all of the sin of mankind. It became the end of it in himself. He became the death. He was the one who bore in himself all of the uncircumcised flesh. He took it all upon himself. He took the, he took the coat of many colors, so to speak, upon himself, or the, or the breastplate of judgment that had all the colors of Israel. And he himself, like the picture we see in, in, in um, the Joseph, Joseph, the, the multicolored dream coat guy, you know, that, that, that mult, those multicolored, the whole, I, th- I see that as like the whole Adamic world wrapped up in one man and torn and covered with blood and given to the Father. That's what, that's what Jesus did. He took all of that upon himself. But then it was his son, the one who came out from him, the, the, it's almost like uh, Christ on the other side of the cross, who then reigns in peace. He could reign in peace. Solomon could reign in peace because David the death of the Lord Jesus Christ had removed the enemies of the Lord from the land. So Solomon could set up his kingdom of peace, which is one of the primary characteristics of Solomon's reign, the fact that he never had to fight a single battle, the fact that peace extended beyond the borders of Israel, the fact that there was no war throughout his 40 years of his of his reign. Anyway, I'm just trying to say that peace is something that God, it was all in one man in Melchizedek. God took out that facet of, uh, that, that one word, and he begins to develop it. He develops it, through, if it develops it throughout the, the Old Testament. <clears throat> and then, and he really, he really kind of puts a bow on it with Solomon. And then like all of these words, Jesus comes and says something like, a greater than Solomon is here. You know what? I have come to bring peace, but not as the world gives. Don't look for it in the world. I haven't come to bring peace in the world. There's a peace in me. He gathers it. He even, I mean, he said it. He couldn't have said it more, 
more, more, more clearly. I'm not giving peace in the shadowy way anymore. It's not a peace in a natural land that has to do with natural swords and natural enemies. I have come to be, to be, to become the fulfillment of this thing. I'm gathering up peace. It was in me before I created the universe. I'm bringing it back into me. I'm gathering up these pictures and I'm, I'm saying I am to all of them. All of these little fragments. That's why, that's, that's what Jesus did. He walked around for three and a half years saying I am to all of the pieces that had been separated. Separated and developed in, in a testimony kind of way. And he, and he IM'd them. He, he, he gathered them up into himself. Okay? So, I, I see Melchizedek as, as kind of a picture of this reality. He is, he's all of these things. Well, the tithe, too. We could talk about the tithe. And really, we should, one of these days, we should, I mean, we've done it in other classes and stuff, but the tithe, we'll get there, I guess, but the tithe is not about giving money to leaders. Uh, I mean, it's fine if you want to give money to people, whoever you want, give money to whoever you want. Give money to Christians or leaders if you want to, but that's not a tithe. Uh, the tithe in the Old Testament was a very specific thing. Having, and, well, and, and you see part of it right here. It was a very specific picture of Israel giving to God, giving back to God the increase of what he had given to them. They receive of him, live of, live, live in and on and by his blessing, and the increase of what he has given to them always goes back to him. It's, that's what, that's the nature of our relationship with God. The increase of Christ is offered up to the Father. And yes, in the Old Testament, it was in the form of natural things, like all things were. It was in the form of crops, or in the form of inc natural increase, or, or, or even money, or whatever. But not because it was about humans giving cash to their leaders, but rather about the increase of Christ in the body returning to its source. You see? And, and as a result of that increase, they receive the li See, they, the life is given to them, and they give it back to the Father. That's what Melchizedek's doing, too. The bread and the wine, the life, the, the, that's what Jesus, he ministers that to us. I mean, that's the whole, that's what the new covenant is. He gives you of himself. He gives you his death. He gives you his life. He gives you his covenant with his Father. And therefore, the increase of all of Israel in the loins of Abraham belonged to Melchizedek. Okay? And that's another picture there. It's all gathered up in this one man. And, and we could talk forever about the blood, I mean, the, the bread and the, and the wine. Why did this guy, Melchizedek, come out and give him bread and wine? What a why not, why not uh, you know, Cracker Jack? And I don't know. It's just, it's just a real, I mean, obviously, that, whatever. That was weird. But the, the the point is that this is such a very clear and specific picture of all of these aspects of Jesus Christ gathered up into one man and then they and then they spread out from that one man and God every single one the tithe gets a lot of detail 
uh, in Israel. And the tithe, as you'll see, and I can show this to you, and, and I think I have some lessons somewhere on, online about this, but the tithe, as you see throughout Israel's history, had to do with the, the priesthood of Aaron and the increase of God's blessing, working in the people, being given back to their priesthood, coming from God through the priesthood, and giving back to God through the priesthood. That gets attention. The blood and wine, or the blood and wine, the bread and wine gets tons of attention and all kinds of types and shadows. Uh, the, 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 another one coming up somewhat shortly in Genesis is in the dreams of, um, of the, the, the cup bearer and the baker in the prison with Joseph. That's, a, that's an incredible one right there. But there's others. There's lots of them. Uh, the kingdom and the, 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 the priesthood gets three entire books of the Old Testament. I mean, the, the Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers develop the priesthood in itself, and and again, they're never they're never united in one person, but they are developed and and details are given to us about them. The kingdom, uh, in a sense, kind of starts with Joshua, even though they don't really call him a king, but he's definitely manifesting this increase, this government, this victory over flesh, um, the, the spreading of the judgment of the Lord throughout the land, the, way, the victory over, uh, over the enemies of the Lord as the people walk by faith. All that starts in Joshua. kind of takes a few ups and downs during the judges, and then uh, later uh, it, it, it really develops with the stories of Saul and then and David, and there you have another contrast. But okay, so I hope you can see what I'm saying here. I, I talked about this diagram using um, Christ as the Alpha and the Omega a little while ago, but now instead of instead of or Christ before creation, you can just put the name Melchizedek over that first guy. Okay, even though it's even though Melchizedek is just a picture of Christ, just to, try to. Uh, to, to illustrate what I'm saying. Melchizedek and all that God demonstrated in this one man and then all that came out from him and then was gathered up, reunited in its original source and its original place, which is Christ. So the f so, so I hope, hope I'm, let me just review just a second here let me, uh, just so I can be really clear. The Alpha and the Omega from God's point of view, have always been the same. God didn't really end up with something different than he started with. There is a difference, but it's not different in, different in substance or nature or person or character. The difference is that you and I, who begin in the realm of created shadows, pictures, who begin with natural bodies and natural minds and natural lives. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the flesh profits nothing. We start there in the flesh that profits nothing. We start there with natural sight, with natural pictures, with natural water that doesn't really quench our thirst, and natural food that never really gets the deal done. We start with natural light, which shows us natural things in a natural creation. Okay, you get the point. We start in the first, but the first isn't really the beginning. The first, it's our first. It's first for us. But, but the first, there's something before the first, and there's something after the first. And it's the same thing. It's Christ all and in all. And the, and the glorious reality of the gospel is that 
Now get this. God opened up a door. He opened up a door to bring us with him back to the beginning. That's what the cross is. It's a blood-covered door that takes us out of the first and brings us into the last. Brings us into the thing that God knew from the beginning. And that's why, if you can just see a little glimpse of that in your heart right now, that's why the most the most necessary and important and practical thing that God could ever want to do to us, to, to a people who were born with natural light, a light that Jesus called darkness, with natural minds and natural bodies and natural things with personal goals and all that filled with sin to boot, the most, if he's really brought us over the cross and we're inside of the Omega, so look at the diagram, and we're inside of him, the most, the most logically important and, and necessary thing that he could ever conceive, that, that we could ever, I mean, well, that, that God would need to do for us is to cause us to see and know what he's done and where we are. I mean, that, I mean, can you imagine the stupidity of, of, of dragging over our understanding? The light that we call light, but it's darkness. The mind that doesn't, that only understands five senses. The life that was never more than a shadow and one that we twisted for our own good. Can you imagine the, the absurdity of bringing that over into the Omega and pretending like we actually know something? And, and know something that existed before God even made the shadow. We don't even understand the shadows. We've perverted the shadows. We've used them for our own gain and for our own, uh, for, for, for whatever reasons we wanted to use them and see them from our own perspective. We've lived much of our lives absolutely ignorant of the fact that they are shadows. And here God brings us through this blood covered door and he brings us into himself. You know, I've raised you up on, he says in Exodus 19.4, you, you saw what I did to Egypt. I, 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 and, then, and then I raised you up on eagle's wings and I brought you into myself. You've died, your life's hidden with Christ and God. This isn't really in my notes or anything I was planning on talking about, but it just, it just strikes me. What could be more necessary for those who are made alive with Christ and seated in the Omega, which is the very same thing that existed before the creation of the world? What could be more necessary than God saying in our heart, let there be light? Let there be light. Open your eyes. See. Lift up your eyes, Abraham. Have you seen where you are? What do you see? Are you seeing with the right eyes? Are you feeling? Are you, are you trying to use your five senses in here to see what's real? What are you doing? Open your eyes. See the greatness of this salvation. Anyway, um... I'm, right, I'm, I'm just about out of time, but let me just say something real quick about this, and, and, and maybe uh, one of the cool things about Melchizedek, and one of the things that's really brought out in Hebrews, is the fact that he, he represents this order of priest that is far greater than the, the Levitical priesthood. And one of the one of the aspects of that, and and and, and again, I think I, I somewhere on the website I have, I have this uh, Kingdom of Priests 
uh, series, and I think there's like six teachings on the priesthood, and I think I get into that. I think I do. Somewhere I do. I think that's where it is. But one of the things that I think is really neat about that chapter and about Christ and about this whole reality we've been talking about is ever ever since that you see the king and the priest united in Melchizedek and like I said you see them then separated for the rest of the Old Testament with the possible exception of David putting on a linen ephod and dancing in front of the ark as uh, as a king kind of like for a brief moment um, kind of in some ways acting as a priest uh, you know a little maybe a little flash of the two of those offices coming together but besides that there, there's not that that I can think of uh, there's not any real uh, union of those two things again but the Old Testament has a whole lot to say has a, has a has a bunch of prophecies and promises exactly Joshua and Zechariah Julie just texted me yeah but that's see that's what I was yeah that's the that's what I she just texted me Joshua and, and Zechariah but that's a picture of what was to come like I don't think any human being besides David that I can think of actually well I guess they did put the crown on Joshua's head all right you win Julie wins um my, what I was trying to say is, is still the same. They began to talk about the re, uh, the reuniting of these two offices in one man. There's there's psalms that talk about it, that God swears to His Son that you will be a priest forever, according to the uh, that He'll be a king and a priest according to the the order of Melchizedek. But then the coolest ones, and, and I'll just I'll leave this for you to look at in your own time. But it, in Zechariah, yeah, chapter. Um, four and chapter six, the, the the crux of what's being talked about there in those two chapters is that there's a man coming whose name is the branch, and the branch. Let me just read. I'll read one one thing to you here, Zechariah chapter six. All right, and verse eleven. Take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua the high, the son of uh, Jehozadak. The high priest. Now Joshua is the, uh, incidentally, and, and not not by coincidence, is the Hebrew name for, for Jesus, Yeshua, and uh, and 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 so you know if this was written in Greek, it would say well, if it was an English translation of Greek, it would say Jesus, but at any rate, put the put the crown on on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then speak to him, saying, "Thus says the Lord of hosts: Behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he will branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne." And the council of peace shall be between... I like the way the uh, NAS says it. The council of peace will be between the two offices. And uh, and here you have just one of, of, of a few different prophecies of this one man, the branch, which is a messianic name that you see in, in several different uh, prophets, uh, is coming. And he's going he's gonna to reunite 
what was once united in Melchizedek, which was once united in the heart of God before the creation of the world, and was, was separated and testified to in a, in a bunch of different ways, he's actually bringing them back together. Put the crown on the priest, and the council of peace will be between those two offices in that one man. So, okay, we'll stop with that and see if there's 